Everybody and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 75th episode of the podcast for the week of October 28th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome back San Diego-based astrologer and feng shui expert and all-around goddess herself, Simone Butler. And so we're going to be talking on hotspots, astro-locality, which is a fascinating subject. I think you all will dig it. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access to the podcast or show notes to the podcast, uh, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to show your support, you can do that as well at Mel's Tip Jar, which you can find at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week fresh off a new moon in Scorpio with her silvery crescent waxing and ever-growing in light. She seeds into the scorpion's lair before moving into the exuberance of Sagittarius on midday Tuesday. She gallivants in these fires of optimism throughout the middle of the week until moving into the get-to-business earth energies of Capricorn on Thursday night. She attends to the necessities in the sign of the seagoat for much of the weekend before gliding into the futuristic and detached airs of Aquarius on Sunday. Now, just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe at about eight hours, and if you are in Australia or the East at about 17 hours, you know, basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it is quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. Well, my friends, we have an interesting week before us here. Uh, We are basically, you know, starting things off as the sun separates from its opposition with Uranus. That happens super early on a Monday morning. Uh, We also have Venus, uh, who is going to conjunct Mercury, move into Sagittarius, and then trine Chiron. So we got Venus making moves this week. And we also have Mercury... Uh, which is, uh, you know, Mercury stationing retrograde right after this Venus conjunction. And we always know Mercury stationing is big news. And really the whole week is leading us to that first quarter moon in Aquarius that is kicking things off. So let us waste no time and dive right in. 
On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Scorpio, and she'll make a sextile to Saturn, a trine to Neptune, and a sextile to Pluto. And of course, we have the sun uh, posing Uranus this day, which I did uh, cover last week because it's happening at about uh, something like 3 a.m. here Pacific time on Monday. So we have already been feeling the influence of this transit and it really was part of our uh, new moon seating that we were, you know, feeling into. Um, and as we know, you know, the sun helps helps us turn a page uh, and gain uh, awareness and purpose that gives us a sense of vitality. And it's looking across the way at Uranus, which wants to shake things up, do things differently, uh, and maybe, you know, let go of some routine ways of being uh, in order to innovate our lives in certain ways. So just keep in, keep in mind that we're still under the sun opposite Uranus influence, uh, which was likely to be more of an internal thing just with the nature of, you know, the particular uh, moon phase and the cycle it's in right now and the fact that Uranus is still retrograde there. So, uh, you know, we're still feeling into that. But, you know, the bottom line for Monday is, is that we are freshly getting situated in this new moon energy. And, you know, we're feeling out the shifts that are taking place within the emotional sphere because we are in Scorpio style here. And so there is an easy flow towards our responsibilities today with that sextile to Saturn, yet there is also a bit of dreaminess in the air with that trine to Neptune. So it may feel like we are focused on getting things done, yet are in a bit of another world entirely while doing so. So have compassion for yourself today as we are feeling into our personal growth at this time. So go easy on yourself as the cycle is just getting started. Now, on Tuesday, the moon is in Scorpio, but she will move to Sagittarius around uh, about 3 p.m. here on the Pacific Coast. And before she does that, she's going to make a conjunction to both Venus and Mercury, which will be the stars of uh, tomorrow (laughs) here with their conjunction. So the bottom line for Tuesday is that the upcoming Mercury-Venus conjunction is lit up by the moon today. So feel into the energy of the morning and get a good read on what this fusion of energy means to you. You are also likely to get Mercury retrograde fodder too, you know, because this is the last lunar aspect that happens before Mercury goes retrograde. So be receptive to what comes in on Tuesday. And it will be a two-part day as we, you know, we're kind of spending the first half still in the passionate, emotional focus of Scorpio before we head into the outgoing and optimistic fires of Sagittarius. So we are likely to, you know, kind of lift up out of some density in that second half of the day. And there is a long gap in between lunar aspects. Uh, So consider this a visionary period where you can take your time and float where the inspiration takes you. Now, on Wednesday, the moon is in Sagittarius, and we'll make a square to Neptune and a sextile to Mars. And of course, the big news on Wednesday is that Mercury is making a conjunction to Venus. And so Mercury, you know, this is how we perceive things, what information comes in, what's being communicated, you know, what we're learning, what... uh, what news we see in the papers. And so when there's a conjunction, this is always a fusion where the cycles are merging and the energies become one. And so, uh, you know, this perception and intellectual energy is fusing with our goddess Venus, who is all about relating and attracting in and finding balance and harmony uh, and, and has that creative energy to her as well. And so it 
actually hasn't been long uh, since these two met in the sky because they met in a conjunction back on September 13th during our full moon in Pisces. So you may want to look back to uh, you know that time to get a flavor of these two meeting in the skies. Yet this fusion has a more overt and clear quality to it as the previous meeting happened while both Mercury and Venus were still hidden behind the beams of the Virgo sun. And now that both planets are in visible condition in the skies, the agenda is less hampered by the sun's influence and Venus and Mercury can talk without interference. Now, this is an important meeting as Mercury is set to retrograde the following day, and the muse will be whispering in our ear, giving much fodder for Mercury to consider as it backs up, uh, you know, to seed these desires that Venus has with the sun in less than a few weeks' time. Now, Venus in Scorpio wants to get the message across of what needs renewal in our intimate relations, in our passion projects, and our value structure, and whether or not it's set up to support our personal integrity. So pay close attention Tuesday through Sunday, really, for Venus's message, because she's doing a lot in the skies. And, and, you know, let it sink in as Mercury settles into this underworld journey and where there will likely be movement in this fusion energy once Mercury returns to this point while simultaneously exiting its shadow phase on December 6th. So we can look for some, uh, you know, development in this area by that time. Now, the bottom line for Wednesday is, as we feel into the bigger picture of our lives with that Sagittarius moon, there may be a bit of doubt and uncertainty swirling about as, you know, we're driven by our beliefs at this time and we are, you know, the the moon is creating friction with that haziness that Neptune brings. Yet really, this is a chance to step into the necessity of faith around what we are dreaming into being. And with that sextile to Mars shortly after, we can feel motivated by an inspirational force that seeks to help us persevere past any murky feelings that, you know, may tempt us to escape. So surrender to what is shifting and then invigorate yourself to what is being born, for there is plenty of potential ahead. Now, on Thursday, we have the moon in Sagittarius, and she will move to Capricorn about a little after 7.30 p.m. here on the Pacific coast, so later in the day. Um, But early in the day, she's going to make a conjunction to Jupiter. Uh, And, of course, Thursday is Halloween. This is also the Samhain time, too. So, uh, you know, we have, we're in between these uh, otherworldly forces. And it's so funny that on Thursday, Mercury is stationing retrograde in Scorpio, which, you know, Mercury is the planet that goes between the uh, Earth and heaven, basically, or Earth and the underworld there. The only God that has access to all. So it's kind of funny that this is lining up with Halloween and Samhain. So Mercury retrograde is happening at is 27 degrees and 38 minutes of Scorpio. And it will officially retrograde at 8.42 a.m. here, Pacific time. So, you know, it's official. Yet another Mercury retrograde period is here. Uh, And we have been experiencing the shadow of this transit since October 11th. And now the movement of station, uh, or not the movement, but rather the moment, because there is no movement at station, uh, is here. It's arrived. And really, it's 
so perfect that Venus has seated her blessing in this station. So this is our third uh, retrograde of 2019, was Mercury, at least, and where we, you know, first experienced backwards motion in Pisces back in March, and then Cancer back in July, we are now poised to go through the Scorpion variety. As psychopomp Mercury travels to the underworld in one of the most liminal of signs. Now, this retrograde period will have us diving deep in some fixed emotional areas of our lives as we clear out and purge old perceptions that may have been operating from a place of emotional swampiness. We may have to look at, you know, if we have been operating in a very black and white manner when there is a bit of gray that needs to be incorporated. We may have to revise our intellectual marriage to our passions in life, and the barometer of our fixed emotional energy may be shifting and transitioning with the goal of a more stable position and outlook. Intuition will likely be speaking quite strongly as Mercury heads back to reconnect in, you know, in flowing aspects with Pluto, Saturn, and Neptune. Um, really around the time that we're going to experience our last Saturn-Neptune sextile of 2019, uh, around about November 8th through the 13th there. Um, so this is a pivotal retrograde. So take your time, sink into it, and dive deep. For what you flush out can be of great strength and intellectual fortitude in the month ahead. Now, Mercury will be retrograde until November 20th, and I believe he will station at 12 degrees Scorpio. Now, the bottom line for Thursday, Halloween, is there is a funny vibe to the day as we get a Moon-Jupiter hit first thing in the morning, right before Mercury stations retrograde, and we are feeling ready to move on and embrace the enthusiasm that change brings. Yet this day may, you know, feel like an in-between space, particularly as we have a void, of course, moon for most of the day before she changes into a somber Capricorn later uh, in the evening there. So take your time today, feel into the shifts, and expect for an interesting Halloween as, you know, there is certainly some trickery in the air with Mercury there. Now, Friday, we have the moon in Capricorn, and she'll make a super early trine to Uranus and then go on to sextile the sun during the day. Now, also of note, we have Venus, who is moving into Sagittarius. She says goodbye to my detriment of Scorpio. I am ready to, uh, you know, dance in the fires of Sagittarius. So she will officially make her move at 1.25 p.m. here, Pacific time. And so, you know, Venus, she says hallelujah as she crosses the threshold into the buoyancy of Sag, as she opens her arms to be consumed by the fiery and optimistic inspirations of the archer. She is now in Jupiter's domain and will steadily climb ever higher to eventually meet Zeus himself on November 24th, a little over a week before Jupiter moves out of his home domicile in Sagittarius uh, to not return again for another 12 years. And so that time period will be a sweet spot of the year. So do mark your calendars, November 24th. Now, we are likely to feel a bit lighter around where our story is headed and opening to the call of inspiration and adventure that Sagittarius brings. And we will be more prone to wearing our hearts on our sleeves, yet there will be an independent quality to this muse, as she is more than happy to parade around, twisting and turning in her own agenda. Now, this is a great transit to blossom further into our own journey while adapting to shifts in our desire nature and core values. 
What we believe about, you know, these areas will likely change as we follow uh, the light of revitalized inspiration, because that is what Sagittarius can give us. So Venus will be in Sagittarius until November 25th. So the bottom line for Friday is is that energy slows down and becomes more grounded as the Capricorn moon harmoniously aspects the Scorpio sun and where we are likely to feel a bit firmer in our current positions. Now, we have left the clouds to come back down to Earth and are feeling more practical and realistic about where we are headed. And we are able to focus in on the here and now and what is required of us at this time. And our ambitions are likely to be peaked uh, a bit once we get that intuitive hit from the solar source with that sextile of the sun. So take advantage as this is likely to be one of the most Uh, not the most, but one of the more productive days of the week that will also have an easier flow to it. Now, on Saturday, the moon is still in Capricorn uh, and makes a conjunction to Saturn and a sextile to Neptune uh, while we sleep here in North America. But then we'll go on to square Mars, conjunct Pluto, and then make a later evening sextile to Mercury. So the bottom line for Saturday is that pay attention to any dreams that come in, as Saturn and Neptune are likely to be dominating the dream space. And there's lots of activity and tension to this day, as a you know we are in this get-to-business Capricorn moon, uh, which may be interacting with a potentially irritated and vocal Mars and Libra. Yet this does give us the oomph to be motivated by an idea and instantly get to work on it. There is likely to be some intensity at play as Luna fuses with Pluto, and we may find that what we were triggered to get to work on ends up taking a a bit of an obsessive focus. So this would be a great day to do some meditation and take in some nature if you can, for there may be profound messages that come through as Luna transfers light from Pluto to a newly retrograde Mercury in Scorpio. Now, Sunday, fun day. Well, we have the moon now in Aquarius, uh, and she'll make an early morning sextile to Venus and then a square to Uranus during the day. Also of note on Sunday, that is our daylight savings time here in the U.S. So daylight savings time ends and we are going to fall back here. So this is the time of year where we get an extra hour of sleep. It's all an illusion. (laughs) Um, But also of note, we also have Venus trining Chiron this day. uh, And really we're preparing for the first quarter moon in Aquarius that will be exact while we sleep here in North America on Monday. So let's talk about that Venus trying to Chiron. Uh, Because, you know, Venus, our relationship planet, our attraction planet, our balance planet, our creative planet, you know, that muse, is uh, flowing in a trine with Chiron, which Chiron brings us healing opportunities or where we can gain, uh, you know, a, a view of wisdom through maybe some of our, you know, repeated triggers in life. And so now just a quick note on Venus interacting with the wisdom-inducing, you know, triggers of Chiron, I think these two meeting in, uh, you know, a fiery Sag to Aries flow will help support our attraction to the self's desires while providing inspiration around how we can move past some of our greater life hurdles. And sometimes all it takes is the ability to invite in a bit of optimism and courage and belief in oneself in order to overcome and shift the story that is being written. 
So be receptive to what lights a spark this weekend and let it guide you further into better knowing yourself and what you are driven to experience in this world. You just might be inspired to adapt in ways that lead to promising new beginnings. Now, with the first quarter, uh, you know, apexing here, which it will be exact at 11 degrees and 42 minutes of Aquarius uh, at 2.23 a.m. Pacific time on Monday. And so this aspect perfects while we sleep in North America. So really, we're going to be feeling it most on Sunday. And in what, this is why I'm covering it in this week's episode. And so I find it very fortunate that we push off of this month's intense Scorpio lunar cycle with an emotional push from the futuristic visions of Aquarius. Having the detachment of this fixed air sign challenges us to move forward with a bird's eye view and a higher perspective. Sandwiched between a square to Uranus and then a trine to Mars, we will most likely need to find innovation in our approach and disturb the perceived peace a bit in order to get this party started because, you know, Uranus likes to shake things up. So let the idea of doing things differently energize you as we are meant to go higher at this time. And the Sabian symbol for this degree reads, people on stairs graduated upwards with the keyword of progression and the theme of stairway to the stars. So I guess the question is, are you ready to ascend? So the bottom line for Sunday is is we are feeling first quarter on the brew, and there is a detached feeling to the day as we are now in the fixed airs of Aquarius. There may be some disruption in the air with that square to Uranus earlier in the day, so expect the unexpected. Yet sometimes that unexpected can be a perception or a viewpoint we haven't yet entertained. So there is the potential of an aha moment at this time. So give yourself some space if needed and spend some time feeling out future potentials. So really to wrap it all up here, we are in a bit of an in-between space this week as we feel into the Uranian-influenced Scorpio new moon that has freshly seeded. We will also need to take our time as Mercury plays its tricks in the sky. So, you know, take this opportunity to start to review and envision for dreaming of the future will likely be on our minds. So let's take a look at the cards because they always add a little extra something here. And I thought they were so perfect for this week. Uh, I drew the fool as the focus and the three of wands as the grounding. Now, with the fool as the focus, this week embarks us upon a void of new beginnings. Yet we are still in that in-between and transitional space. And there is a darkness at play as we await what we are about to do. Yet we are not quite there yet, and so we must navigate this void. We are in the process of telling the universe what we are to become and where we would like to travel to. Yet the time is not ripe to manifest that intention or pack your bag for that destination. Rather, this is a time of deciphering and being willing to trust and potentially take a risk when it is go time. It can be hard to trust while in the dark, you know, Uh, and the fool arriving as Mercury is stationing retrograde in Scorpio, you know, I can't think of a better archetype to lead us through this underworld uh, journey, Um, yet this is a potentially creative space. So remain innocent and playful as we step into this portal of initiation, for we are being led to somewhere new. 
Now, with the Three of Wands as the grounding, there is a new cycle of creative inspiration that is growing at this time. And although our ship has yet to come in, we are waiting in preparation as the fertile energy ripens. And so the Fool, while navigating all the potential that lies in creation, is rooted in the Three's energy of visionary leadership within whatever project or direction that we have the passion to pursue. And the best thing we can do for that energy in this space and time is to envision the eventual outcome of success. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the camel. Our hardworking desert friend is here to further the message of patience and being willing to bear a heavy load. This speaks to me of the Saturnian influence that seeded into the new moon, because uh, keep in mind, Mars was square Saturn at that time, and how it ties into the next few weeks of Mercury in retrograde motion, because Mercury is going to come back over Saturn a few times here. So steady endurance is needed along a road that is most likely rather long. So pace yourself at this time. The camel's nature is also one of humility, as it doesn't consider itself too good to endure the hard work that is necessary. And if you don't quite know what you are willing to put your back into yet, now is the time to attune to your true self and assess what load you are ready to carry. So all right, my friends, we'll just a quick few announcements here. I will remind you that we will, uh, you know, SDAS, San Diego Astrological Society, if you are here in Southern California, we will be hosting Adam Gainsburg uh, for a talk on his All Conjunctions Are Not Created Equal, which will happen Friday, November 8th. So if you want to mark your calendars for that, we will be uh, starting the lecture a little early this time at 7 p.m. at the Joyce Beers Center in Hillcrest. Now, also, uh, another way to support this podcast is to, uh, you know, sign up for my Astro Storytime, which is a tier on my Patreon. So for $6 a month, you can get my one-hour program that comes out monthly where I uh, highlight different charts uh, and go through different mundane influences and just whatever is really sparking my astrological uh, interest at that time. And so once again, last uh, uh, October's episode was uh, featuring the headlines that came from Pluto's station, which were absolutely fascinating and right in line with the energy of Pluto. And then also I looked at the charts for the Dallas cop trial, uh, and then also Tim Burton and his collaborative relationships with both Johnny Depp and Danny Elfman. So for $6 a month, you can support this podcast and also get this uh, other offering where I go deep and show you charts and uh, it's just super fun. So I hope that you are interested in checking that out. If you are, you can get there by going to patreon.com backslash energetic principles. And as you may know, I am in the process of creating a beginner's course for astrology. So if you would like to sign up for the priority priority notification list for this uh, and receive my Astro Basics Cheats Sheet, you can do so over at energeticprinciples.com backslash learn. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right. I'm so happy to welcome back this week's very special guest. I have Simone Butler with me. Thank you for joining me again, Simone. So glad to be here. Yes, I think. Simone, how many times have you joined me now? Maybe 
four? This might be the fourth. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting angular. We're, we're boxing off here. Uh, and Simone and I are both here in San Diego and also a part of the San Diego Astrological Society where we uh, both met each other. Um, but for those of you who have not heard of Simone before, Simone, will you give us a little quick background on yourself? Sure. Well, I've been an astrologer for over 30 years. I'm at astroalchemy.com and I, I write, I blog. I um, do a Patreon show every week. I, you know, I pretty much cover the gamut of what's available in astrology. And I'm excited that we're going to be talking about astrolocality and astro mapping today because that's something I've always been interested in, but have lately decided to focus on upgraded my solar fire to the latest version so that I could get the full maps. And, you know, so I'm, I'm hot to trot on that. <laughs> She's hot to trot on her hot spots, yes. uh, which we're, I can't wait to talk about this topic because it is fascinating. It's a fascinating use of astrology uh, and what I've used it for in my, in my own life and looking at my own self. It has been uh, highly accurate <laughs> in many ways. So I'm excited yes. to dive into that um, with mm-hmm. you. Now, uh, now, what Simone didn't say is that she is an author of two books as oh, well. Thank you. Well, I've always been a writer, even before I was an astrologer. It's just something that kind of comes naturally to me. So yeah, I have a book called Astro Feng Shui, in which I merged Western astrology and Western Feng Shui. And then I have a book called Moon Power that looks at the moon signs. And I even assigned a goddess to each moon sign and um, I like to invent things. I like to put things together that haven't been put together. It's probably my son Uranus conjunction. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's. I would say it's that paired with you know Gemini rising and Gemini moon because. Yeah. Gemini creates things out of nothing. That's like the, the, the thing. It, it creates the idea and the, <laughs> and so no wonder you like to make your own systems and ways of looking at things. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it can juggle like the, all the different facets. Us Gemini, Gemini people, you know, we've got a lot of plates spinning at the, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, but we wouldn't have it any other way, I'm sure. Uh, so now before we get into this hot topic of uh, astrolocality, I just wanted to pick Simone's brain because, you know, uh, basically when this uh, podcast airs, we're going to be coming off of a, a rather dynamic Scorpio new moon. Uh, Mercury is going to retrograde this week uh, that this airs. Um, and also we have our, our Halloween and our, our our switch of the seasons there, which I know Simone's super into goddess energy and, and those, uh, you know, old ritual, you know, kind of pagan rituals essentially. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, any thoughts on this Scorpio energy, this retrograde that, you know, the, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, it's such an interesting kind of dichotomy that's going on right now, which, you know, the Scorpio new moon is a new beginning. Every new moon is a new beginning, right? And Samhain, which is the Celtic um, holy day that Halloween is based upon, um, is the witch's new year, right? So we do have new moon, new year energy here. And yet it's in Scorpio 
and Mercury is going retrograde also in Scorpio. And of course, with Mercury retrograde, it usually takes us back to the past. You combine that with the fact that the new moon is opposite Uranus, which can be a, um, you know, letting something go. So it's, it's an interesting combination. It's like, Part of us is letting go or shedding a skin. I'm using the snake imagery here, which is definitely a Scorpio um, archetype, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we're also launching something new in the process. So just for my own self, um, the new moon is happening in my sixth house. And so I'm, I'm embarking on a cleanse. I'm going back to a cleanse I've done before based upon uh, what they do at the Optimal Health Institute here in San Diego, where I've been many times. This time I'm doing it at home. It involves wheatgrass. It involves sprouts. You know, mm. It's a good cleanse. I enjoy it. I'm going to do that starting this coming Monday for um, the week that Mercury turns retrograde. So I'm going back to something, but I'm also purging. Mm something and getting, hopefully getting back on track with my eating and my health. How about you? That sounds up so on point for how many, for many reasons, you know, especially with that Uranus, you kind of like shaking things up, you know, expelling some, maybe, you know, because this is essentially what cleanses do is it breaks up a lot of times things that might be blocked in the system and just need to flush it on out. So <laughs> how perfect, especially as yeah. Mercury's retrograding in this kind of like, uh, you know, Scorpio already has that under uh, underworld uh, kind of feeling to it, but especially Scorpio, uh, Mercury then kind of taking that underworld journey himself uh, while we're in Scorpio season. Like this seems, yes, a lot of purging, a lot of, I don't, you know, I don't even quite know what my agenda is yet for myself. Well, it's because it's in your 12th house. No, that's... I don't have an agenda. <laughs> Part of me, the only thing that I want to do is at times I feel like I want to get rid of stuff, like which falls into the line of what you're, you're saying here. But there's almost a part of me, because we're recording this, that what, we're about four days out from the new moon happening. So we're, you know, it's typical astrological form. We're looking into the future as we talk about this. Um, but part of me is almost waiting for the moment of, you know, that surprise element that I think Sun and Uranus is going to bring at the start of this Mm -hmm. week when this podcast Mm -hmm. airs. So I might have to get back to you on what my new moon (laughs) actually looks like. But for me, it's going to be in my fifth house. Uh, The new moon is trying my Venus, exactly. Um, So, which is my partnership planet, but it's also the ruler of my 12th house where Mars is squaring Saturn right now. So there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes action for me, I think. And especially as I'm uh, on course on course to create my course <laughs> well, in astrology. So I think that a lot of what I'll be personally working on, and especially in that fifth house, uh, uh, sorry, it's in my first house, but in my solar fifth house, I'm combining them. I like to combine the two together. So that was confusing, but there's yeah. this fifth house element and there's first house element taking place and then trining my Venus in the ninth house. So I'm thinking that this is more about me doing the behind the scene work, uh, I'm making a lot of the decisions that I, as I'm putting this, you know, course module together. So that is what I'm predicting for myself. <laughs> when are you planning on launching the course? Well, that's a good question. I think that's a Mercury retrograde experience. Uh, uh, just because of our, um, 
interesting lineups that we have, especially through January. I just want to make sure that I am uh, putting this out there at a time that it can be well received uh, by others and by myself, you know, because when, <laughs> when we have a lot of energy piling up at the same time, um, you know, I just, I'm trying to figure out if that's going to be the right time. So it could be, it could be January when this thing, you know, gets off the ground. Uh, once we get past the, you know, eclipse season, the Saturn Pluto action, uh, holidays, you know, because that's a beast in its own for most yeah. people. <laughs> and then we have all this retrograde right here in most of them. Right. And you may decide to refine, retune some, some things, you know, during this retrograde. And so you, once Mercury's out of its shadow, which probably won't be until what, December? Yeah, it's going to be, let's see, when does, if I would bet it's December. Um, or once 27. it goes into Sagittarius. So anyway. December 6th is when yeah. we clear that, uh, that shadow period, basically. And then a couple days later, it jumps into Sag. Exactly. Well, and then then... Then there are probably going to be some announcements taking place on this end as far as getting everything set up and, um, you know, for, for the launch because there's, you know, uh, I don't want to give it too much away because I, I'm not to have the specifics right now, but that's my particular process with it. And it all, you know, when we look at the astrology and we pull back from ourselves, we can usually see that everything is right on time uh, in many ways. So very, you know, dynamic season here. Now we're, it's funny, we're taking like a total, we're like, oh, well, let's talk about Scorpio and all the changes happening here in this retrograde season. Uh, and now we're going to switch, you know, turn the wheel over to our astro locality and our mappings and getting into this fantastic technique that is, it, that is really not that old as far as, you know, what we're looking at in a lot of the techniques we're using here, but it is actually set up, um, in very ancient principles where in mundane astrology, they used to, you know, it was very important to know what kind of energy was taking place in different places, uh, especially when we didn't have the correspondence and the, uh, you know, you didn't know what was 500 miles down the road, <laughs> you know, like, or who right. you find or what it was very important or when you're going to battle and what that would look like, etc. But uh, so now let's, okay. So, what we hear many different things for astro locality, right? There's a couple names that circulate around, right, Simone? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. might we hear when we hear about astro mapping? Well, yeah, astro mapping, I think, is more of a generic term, although somebody might have patented that for all I know. <laughs> I do think that Jim Lewis patented um, astro cartography back in, um, at some point, maybe in the 80s. He wrote a booklet about it in 1976, and he's considered the father of astrocartography. And then he had certification programs in it um, in the early 90s, and then he passed in, I believe, 95. So, but I don't know that it's really original to him. There's a couple of other astrologers that were doing it um, in forms, uh, Cyril Fagan, Donald Bradley. I got all of this from a wonderful article that Frank Clifford wrote, which I found online just to get the actual nuts and bolts history of all of this. Mm. Because I didn't know the, the other than Jim Lewis, right? And then it turns out astrolocality was a term 
used by Astro Computing Services here in San Diego to describe the maps and the program that, that they offered. And um, I don't, I know other people use that term and you have a book, right? Called Astrolocality. Astrolocality Astrology. And Kiki, if you're listening out there, you were the one who gave me this book because you found it at a thrift store and you're, you're like, that's too complicated and gave it to me. And it, what a fabulous book. Uh, it's by Martin Davis. Um, and it is Astrolocality Astrology, a guide to what it is and how to use it. Um, and it's interesting because like you're saying, Simone, astrolocality seems to be more of kind of an umbrella term um, for the different, you know, astrocartography, which is, uh, as you said, Jim Lewis is the, is the, the godfather of the, I don't know if he's the godfather, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's the father of, uh, as far as the development, because it did seem that, um, like you said, he had teachers as well, Donald A. Bradley. Uh, there were others, uh, Mark Edmund Jones, uh, the G- Gary Duncan. And so they, they basically had these, even starting from the 30s, they had these like loose tools. But it really took Jim Lewis to be like, oh, well, I'm getting in there, I'm researching it, we're putting it all together, now's the yeah. time. And so yeah. he's, he created the structure, a very Saturn force, you know, come in and be and like, this how we're and popularized it exactly, um, and at a very crucial time in astrological, you know, storyline. Seventies were quite big for astrology. Well, and in the nineties, of course, that's when personal computers all, you know, people started using those, to having access to them. So uh, it used to be. I remember back in the day, we had to actually order our charts from ACS. You know, if we wanted a natal chart, that was prior to the internet. This was in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it was, that's what I was reading about Jim Lewis. Was he? I think it was 1982 or 83. Uh, that is when he started um, his com- computer service to be able to generate these maps that you're talking about. So, yeah. you know, we have it so easy today and we totally forget about that because, yeah. you know, it was, it was quite a lengthy process. I'm sure when, when Jim was, you know, doing this all by hand and trying to figure it out and relocating charts and, you know, all that, uh, because it's essentially what happened and what we'll see in Astro, uh, in Astro locality and, and the mapping process is that really it's kind of an overview of, of looking at angularity in, um, in relocation charts. And so what relocation charts are essentially, you know, if you move somewhere where you were not born, <laughs> your chart gets relocated. The chart turns in a way and planets take on a different emphasis. Some might become angular and gain more power. Some might kind of shift from power. Uh, and so there's a lot to be said uh, in the idea of, of space, right? Because it's it takes it out of just the time, which we look at with our, you know, natal charts and our progressions and our transits. And we're just looking at the times there um, and how that relates to our natal chart. But the place is is interesting as well. Um, very earth connected, right? You know, because... Yeah, and even as far back as William Lilly's time, he was relocating charts. So that part of it, to relocate someone's chart to another place, that's, you know, been going on for centuries, maybe even before William Lilly. I think it dates back even to, like, the Greeks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, they, they took into consideration the fact that, you know, it's just not the quality of just the, the time itself, you know, place and where you are in the world uh, is just as important. And I, I took down a couple people, uh, a couple 
quotes that I found interesting, at least just to kind of sum it up. Like Nicholas Campion had one. He's a mundane astrologer that uh, dabble, not dabbles. I'm sure he does a lot of work in this technique. There's no dabbling here. Uh, But he said, uh, the question that psychological natal astrology has failed to answer for all its perceived advantages is why an individual might have an inner experience in one place rather than another. It has tended to ignore the ancient notion that place, space, and direction might possess quality reveal symbolic significance or indicate divine intent. And so I thought that summed that up well. And then also from the book that I had uh, mentioned earlier by Martin Davis, um, he had said, he said a couple things as well. And I think you're going to resonate with this, Simone, because you're mother earth goddess energy, you know, Mm -hmm. you connect to that. And he says, for me personally, I have come to see the map lines as Aboriginal style, personal song lines. Ooh. Though we may never walk on them all, we should acknowledge their power in pointing us to our connections with Mother Earth. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, I just got chills. With it. <laughs> yeah, song lines. That has intrigued me. Yeah. Oh, oh, totally. I don't fully understand that, but I know that uh, that culture, that Aboriginal culture, is that's what it's all about, is following those lines. Well, and it's interesting too when we think about song lines and when we when we're going to go into some stories and, and things related to astrolocality a little later in the program. Uh, you know, a song is is a muse of some sort, right? It, you hear mm-hmm. it and it calls to you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Pied Piper. We follow his tune towards where we need to go, and so maybe that's part of that song and that muse and that siren that calls out from whatever location. Because I mean, how many times have uh, you know? many people in the world are like, I'm drawn to this place. A lot of people have never even been there, but something calls to them. (laughs) Right. And you may find that you have an important line, angular line. That's what happened to me with Cuba. I've never been to Cuba, but I have a Venus ascendant line running through it. And about 20 years ago, I got completely captivated by Cuban music and dance. And I studied the the um, drumming and the religion, the Santeria religion, um, and then I got into the salsa dancing. And so for 20 years, it was, uh, you know, it, it possessed me. And then it kind of wore off a bit. I mean, I really should have gone to Cuba during that time just to experience it while I was so on fire with that energy. But that's an example of how these lines work. You don't even have to go there sometimes in order to experience the magic of them. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely right. And it's so interesting is like, it's not even only the pit place or the culture. A lot of times we will attract people into our lives that were born on these lines. Yeah. And then they carry that energy for us in some way, shape, or form. And so that's Absolutely. an interesting facet of it as well. I've made that connection in my chart several times over. Mm-hmm. And it, it never ceases to, or it always ceases to amaze me, actually. I'm like, <laughs> well, of course you're from here, you know? That's my, a prominent line for me. And so... Yeah. That's that's all very interesting, um, and so of course we're you know we're kind of looking at it as how how we can use it uh, to uh, direct us and like like 
Simone has labeled it for her particular uh, practice with this is hotspots, her hotspots reading. Um, and because, you know, it's good to know where you're going and how that might affect your chart in many ways. Mm-hmm. But remember, yes. wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because you had experienced this and, you know, we experience, you can experience this with client work is, you know, that sometimes if there's an ideal notion of what utopia might look like, there, yeah. you know, nothing is ever going to look right. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's fine and well, but I don't like this influence over here or, you know, and you just, you know... And that's so important to realize is, first of all, we don't, there are very few perfect planets in our chart, right? Mm-hmm. Or what, what Frank Clifford calls pristine planets, um, a planet that is, you know, elevated uh, in its own sign, making trines right and left, um, mutual receptions, you know, all in a good house, all these things, right? You're lucky if you have even one planet in your chart that is in that category. And if you do, then you, it might be to your advantage to go to an, a line on which it's angular. And by angular, we should specify that we're talking about the four major angles. So um, that's either the ascendant, the midheaven, the descendant, or the IC. Because if a planet falls on one of those angles in a certain part of the world for you, that could very well be a power place for you. But if it's a planet that is not so well-placed, that's you know, in its fall that's square to Saturn or whatever, and you go to that line, you may not experience it. You know, it certainly, it will intensify, shall we say. It'll turn the volume up on that planet to the degree, for better or for worse, no matter, depending on which planet we're talking about here. So it makes it very tricky to do this work because, you know, it's if somebody, let's say somebody wants to emphasize that emphasize their career. Well, that's a fairly easy thing to do through astrolocality because there are career related planets, and there are, um, you know, you look for a midheaven line, right? But if let's say somebody's looking for to retire. And to be happy where they're, um, you know, living someplace that just makes them feel at home. That's an IC line. So there's certain basics like that. However, if you happen to have, let's say, a bunch of squares and oppositions in your chart, it's going to be hard to find a place that does not emphasize these squares and oppositions. And that's what I mean by wherever you go, there you are. I wasn't joking. That is really... (laughs) It is, it's like, okay, you ready to work on that square? Fine, let's move to a location where the square is emphasized or visit. I always recommend yes, visit before you just up and move. And, you know, 
I don't know whether, did you do that when you moved from Florida to San Diego? I, I did, but in, in, in uh, pure Uranian fashion, which is me and the situation that moved me here, um, it, I came out and experienced all but, I think, uh, four days, maybe. Um, so it was a very brief, brief visit, uh, but it was enough to seal the deal, I suppose. And, and here I am, you know, uh, well, you, literally you, almost 20 years later. <laughs> you went from having Uranus on your ascendant in your natal chart to having Pluto on your ascendant in your relocated chart. How now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> How has that changed your life? Well, because it, it's interesting. So what had happened when I had moved out here from Florida, where I'm originally from, um, like my birth chart, and I talk about it a lot, how I have Uranus on the ascendant. Um, when I moved to San Diego, uh, and I will say that Uranus was exactly conjunct my IC at that time, which is usually a sign of, uh, you know, some disruption or a quick move that's going to take place. But, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I have my IC in Aquarius, so this was a fixed energy. And so, as I said, you know, I'm coming on 20 years later in a, in a place. But, you know being called to move out here. And it's so interesting that I moved out here in relation to um, uh, work that I was doing for a record company, uh, which was volunteer work. It wasn't paid, you know, like I was just doing it, but it was helping me advance this, you know, social life of mine. So I moved out here. And like you said, Simone, basically Pluto just smack dab on the ascendant, but I was born, and this illustrates Simone's point with the squares and the oppositions, is I was born with the sun and moon in exact opposition and exactly square Pluto. So not only did Pluto get thrust to the, uh, you know, the first house, but so did the sun and moon uh, become on the, you know, the MC and the IC, and mainly because of the location, because we have to keep in mind, too, that, uh, you know, it's, it's lower down, uh, it's, I was born during the summer, and so the lines are going to match up with more exact squares than some other places where, you know, the MC and the IC might vary more. Um, but yeah, so it worked out perfectly. <laughs> in many respects, <laughs> that these become highlighted. And I mean, it was, you know, I've had some profound experiences here. I've had challenging experiences here, as Pluto will definitely bring, especially when you have Pluto and Libra, which means I've had challenging relationship experiences <laughs> here. I mean, almost out the gate, I had uh, a really Plutonian experience after being here for um, less than two years, uh, that was not pleasant to go through, uh, that involved other people, uh, you know, relationships, uh, you know, these just bad situations. And you would think I would have cut and run at that point, but, <laughs> but no, I stuck it through and I've had those themes. I've had those Plutonian themes play out, but I've also been able to, uh, uh, through that position, because uh, so Pluto's on the ascendant, which gives me that Plutonian energy. Uh, it also has that tenth house Sun that's right on the MC too, and the Sun for me is my career planet, uh, having a Leo midheaven. So that emphasized that more for me as well, and I've had a lot of you know nice success out here as far as that development in my life goes. And that's very important to me. So, you know, it's got pluses and minuses, right? Right. And I think a lot of these harder angles and things are easier to deal with when you're younger. Yes. 
because you're you, you're full of energy. You're conquering the world. You're making mistakes. You're uh, you know pushing through obstacles. And you know then when you're older, you go to a line that is uh, you know as strongly angular as you've chosen to have in San Diego. Twenty years from now, might not work for me, for you anymore. You know. Yeah. It may be too intense. A lot of people find these exact lines too intense. And well, and so here's a good point to bring to that because we have to keep in mind that I was born with that configuration, right? Right. So I'm going to carry that energy innately, and of course, different places and in, in are going to uh, you know bring that to the forefront in different ways but i already have the configuration that deals with that energy to some extent so i'm more likely to be able to work with it because of that um now i don't know how that uh, yeah but it does make it more prominent i mean who am i <laughs> i can't lie it, it totally makes it more prominent and and but but it's been rewarding in many ways too and so because i'm that you know, Scorpio rising. So maybe if I had this same, you know, cardinal T-square going on, but I was uh, maybe a Gemini rising or a Sagittarius rising or something, maybe I wouldn't be able to deal with it the same way I can just based on the fact that I'm a Scorpio rising and probably looking for a more intense experience to begin with. Um, so, you know, there's that as well. And we have to keep in mind too, in relation to what we're talking about, uh, here is, you know, say your son sits in your fourth house natally, and then you go to a place where that sun is, you know, on the MC at that point, and it's pro- projected out there. You know, that sounds good. It's like, oh, you know, the sun's illuminating this career point, but that may be a point of discomfort as well, because you're used to being this fourth house sun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, exactly. That's like uh, me with the South of France or France in general. My relocated chart there is has uh, my Gemini moon south node conjunction on the midheaven and all my, my cancer stellium in the 10th. So uh, whereas they're all below the horizon in my natal chart, I have nothing above the horizon except for the north node. So it takes me, it flips my chart completely. Now, I have been to uh, France many years ago, and I actually did not enjoy Paris. I mean, I enjoyed seeing the museums and what have you, but it brought up a lot of angst for me. And I found out later that it actually, there was a past life there. Now, there you go. Moon, south, no. Ah, wow. And, uh, and yet, Provence in the south felt so, so much like home that I am intending to go back and spend time there and actually am considering that that part of the country and I have French heritage as well, you know, uh, might be a place to relocate at this point in my life. But I would never consider Paris because, you know, it brings out that that past life energy, whereas maybe Provence does too, but I didn't live there in this past life, which I am, I won't go into the details of, of it, but I'm well aware of exactly what happened in that life. And it ended in a very violent way. So no wonder I, I re-experienced that, you know, and I have weird deja vu experience being in Paris, but not in the south of France. So, you know, it's just 
interesting to see, especially with the nodes. You know, if you're going to go somewhere where the nodes are angular, Mm -hmm. you may very well experience karmic um, memories or meet people who you have profound ties with from the past. Now, that's absolutely possible to happen, especially when, you know, you have the configuration like you do, Simone, with having the moon on the south node, you know, that's no wonder you'd be able to feel into that and and pick up on, you know, psychically, uh, and especially in that deja vu, you know, scenarios of of this past, you know, and it was a traumatic, you know, maybe if we come from a past existence that was not so much and it was like, oh, we're reliving like this, something that we know that we used to love, you know, uh, that could be a positive part of it too. Um, but there is that past tie that you're, that you're talking about that can bring that up. I just wanted to add that, you know, Paris is fairly far removed from the South of France. Paris is in the North. And so, in astro locality, we work with not just the angular lines, but there are parent lines, or local space lines. There are ways of looking at a specific area like Provence, and it's going to bring out different um, energies than, than Paris would, even though it may be on, on or near that same main line. So that's another thing that the reports will give you is, um, you know, Solar Fire produces a report. And I always include when I, I do an assessment for people in the hotspots reading of my own after I determine like what their goals are, where they really, are they just looking to travel? Do they want to relocate? If they want to relocate, then where, you know, what is it they're looking to emphasize the most? And so I do an assessment um, on that myself, and then I give them three reports uh, that the program will produce that goes into detail about each specific place. Now, you know, people often are under an illusion that there are perfect places for them to live or visit. And sometimes we go someplace and it's just magic for us, right? It brings out um, a certain, I'm thinking of this one friend of mine who went to a, a Neptune line in Ireland and just fell in love with it and had all these mystical experiences. It's her heritage is Irish with fairies and <laughs> total Neptune experience in a good way. Yeah. She had moved there. That Neptune influence might not have you know, uh, been that great in the long term, particularly if she found that she, if she needed to be making money or, you know, there are some lines that will help us financially and other lines that are more just like dreamy and magical. And, you know, we can go tap into the energies of the earth and things like that. But um, the point is that usually it's mixed. Uh, and there really is, it's very, very hard. And people sometimes get disappointed to realize when they get these reports, oh, well, this doesn't, this is not 100% positive, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some great things here, but it's not, you know, there's this other line that is warning me about power struggles with people or whatever, because there's like a, 
a local space Pluto thing going on, right? But what are you going to do? It's in your chart. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to deal with something wherever you are. And hopefully, you know, you just, like I say, go visit first and spend some time there and see, you know, like when I moved to Sedona, I knew that I had a powerful tie or, you know, connection to that place. And I loved the earth and, and all. It's Pluto line. It's not the exact Pluto line runs through Santa Fe. Pluto, I see. It's close enough in Sedona that I certainly felt it. And um, although it was very transformative and intense and, and magical, um, I couldn't make a living there. And <laughs> there were, you know, it was just, it was plutonic in, another, in a certain way that was not present to me. And it kind of, you know, it didn't work out. So I, I lasted all of two years in that area. So that'll happen sometimes. And, and, and you don't always know until you spend time in a place how, especially if it's one of these outer planets that's on an angle or near it, then, um, you know, you don't know how that's going to play out. It's worked out for you Pluto <laughs> on the Ascendant because you're a Plutonic person to begin with, you know, but um, for me, it didn't work out. Well, and it's interesting too, especially thinking, because you said Pluto on the IC, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and maybe maybe part of it was almost your like your own underworld journey that you went through to yeah. go to, uh, you know, Sedona and to have that experience for yourself. And sometimes we have that experience and then we've gone, we've gone through it. <laughs> and, right. you know, you no longer need that intensity of relationship to wherever it is that you are. Um, right. And so... And that's, you know, we have, we have the gift of that in today's world, really. The fact that we can even talk about this and look at a map of the world and be like, oh, well, let me entertain this, uh, this idea. You know, that is, a, that is a luxury that we have as, you know, modern people to be able to move as such. Um, and a thing that, uh, a, a quote that um, David Cochran had said about his theory of working with, uh, you know, astrolocality is... He said that staying in your place of birth is a point of power, although it also tends to keep your energy system less flexible, adaptable, and varied. Even if you travel frequently from that place, which of course would help you to be more varied, so people who do not move can travel more frequently to prevent having to, too narrow of a view and too narrow of a focus. And so I thought mm. that was interesting too, yeah. um, you know, because if we sit in our natal chart our whole life, we don't really get that varied of experience of how the chart can turn uh, through location and experience different locations. And so I thought that was yeah. interesting as well. Um, Definitely. And that brings to mind another point, which is I think it's also very important to look at the incorporated chart or the the chart of incorporation for the city that you're in or thinking of moving to, because that'll give you like, just again, I I know I have a first house moon. I tend to reference myself a lot, but it's interesting because um, I was born in San Diego and it was a great place to move, to grow up. Um, But I have, uh, San Diego was birthed, incorporated, whatever. I don't know if incorporated was the right word for 1769, 
when it actually, uh, it was July 16th of 1769 that San Diego was established. And my birthday is the 17th. So that in San Diego's chart, there's a Sun-Saturn conjunction. Mm. It's right on my sun. So it worked for me growing up. But as soon as I got old enough to realize there was a wider world out there, I felt very constricted by San Diego. And I actually bailed out of here at 19 and went to LA. Now, both cities are loosely on a Jupiter line for me. It's not exact but it's the closest angular line, which is generally a good thing. I have Jupiter and Leo, you know, it's not bad. But um, LA was a whole other story, completely different. You know why? Mm. LA has stellium in Aries. It's a totally different energy. And yet, interestingly enough, also a Sun-Saturn conjunction. They may gravitate, you know, instinctively toward days of Sun-Saturn conjunctions to to incorporate or establish a city, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all that Aries was an awakening and it was exciting. and It was a whole other uh, vibe for me. And I I was so happy there during the time that I was there and I had all these great experiences and then it got to be too intense and too much and I had to leave. But, you know, that's just a good example, I think, of how looking at the, at the chart for the city itself is another piece to the puzzle. I think that is excellent advice because, you know, that at, it's what, because basically, you know, these incorporated charts are much like our natal chart and what, you know, the energies that the place itself was uh, founded under. Um, and it can be, there can be some discrepancy there because especially when we're talking about these older charts, it's hard to know exactly when this was declared, you know, as far as time-wise. Yeah. So we're just looking at kind of planetary placements at that point. But it's interesting to think of, you know, uh, what a perfect place for you to go after leaving home for the first time, Right. Uh, to this Aries zone where it's like, okay, it's time to develop you in this world. And especially for you, you know, that zone is at least whole sign speaking. We're looking at 11th house. We're looking at social connections and finding the place in the world and what this looks like. And um, that seems very supportive for that coming into oneself uh, apart from the family at that point. And what might've felt restrictive with that Saturn energy, especially so close to your son, you know, there. Um, so that, no, that's a great point of, you know, all but the factors. Know, then, um, I came back to, I swore I'd never come back to San Diego <laughs> other than just to visit the family. But then, um, in fact, I took a road trip, uh, in 2001 to find my perfect place. And I drove through six states and uh, I didn't really find it. And then I realized why, when I got back, um, I was needed here. You know, my mother contracted ALS and had a very painful illness and death and I needed to be here for her. And then my dad was all alone and I needed to be here for him. I'm such a cancer, right? Mm. And, um, you know, he passed and I inherited the family home. And and now, you know, my little Venus in cancer is like, I can't leave my home. I fixed it all up, you know, the way I love it and everything. And yet now it's just, you know, it's, I've got an Airbnb on one side of me and a family with screaming kids on the other side now. And it's like the handwriting's on the wall. Now I have got to go somewhere else. I've got to. 
um, soon. And I think the, the Saturn Pluto in January is opposed my sun, ruler of my fourth. So I'm, I'm hoping things crystallize at that point to give me an indication of where I need to be. Yeah. And, and I know you've talked about this even before that family moved in, uh, where you're entertaining, you know, going some other places or uh, creating situations where you can kind of, you know, have the best of both worlds um, yeah. with your home and being able to uh, travel and, you know, spend quality amounts of time in other places as well. And especially in the South of France, like we were talking about earlier with yeah. that, um, with that moon South node, right. Uh, not right through Paris, but, <laughs> um, but close. And it's, let me see, I'm, I've got my maps up and just, and now if you're following us and you've got one of these programs and you're all getting in there now and looking yourself, you know, some people might have that. Other people might be like, I need someone else to look at this. But, uh, some of the other terms that you might be seeing when you see these lines, cause we're referring to them as the MC and the IC and the ascendant, the descendant. Uh, well, when we're looking at the astro maps, typically what you're going to see is you're going to see culminating and anti-culminating which culminating is the MC, anti-culminating is the IC, and then rising and setting, which is, you know pretty much makes sense, the rising sign ascendant and the setting uh, position, which is the descendant there. Um, so just so you know how those are kind of mapping out. And, and it's interesting, the per- parents, like you were saying earlier, uh, Simone, is one of the techniques, because uh, we were looking at these lines, but we're also wanting to see where those lines uh, you know, the culminating or the anti-culminating are meeting with the rising and the setting because essentially those parents are creating uh, square situations, <laughs> uh, which, you know, are hot. Those are hot spots because there's yeah. tension of energy that um, that come together in, in those zones too. Uh, and what's interesting in the book that I was reading about with the, with the parents, and this might be a more advanced topic, is that uh, when it seeds there in that particular place, when uh, you know they cross over, um, he was saying that at that point, that whole latitude on the Earth is then affected. So it's not just the the point itself, um, but then you can take the latitude, you know, the circumference and um, anywhere along those lines, you're going to get echoes of that same sort of energy. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's <laughs> if you really want to get in there uh, and, and look, um, that was an interesting point too, because even right now, like, look, I have too many lines up, but I can see uh, a parent coming together with your moon and your south node there. Um, that is somewhat close when I'm, when I go across the map, you know, to San Diego. So that's something uh-huh. to be looked at too. Oh. Yeah. So, it, cause it's extending that, that, uh, by latitude basically, but we got to get kind of tight. Yeah. The other thing, um, that I was taught years ago is that when two lines cross, not parent lines, but when two angular uh, lines cross mm-hmm. in the map, that is a real power place for you. And it can be um, potentially, let's say it's maybe a Mars-Mercury line. Mm. I would want to be careful where in an area where those two lines cross because, um, you know, certainly there's going to be spirited discussions or arguments, but there could also be accidents. There could be uh, you know, you might, who knows, Depend, depends on 
how your how functional your Mars and your Mercury are in your natal chart. But if they're going to if they're not super functional planets, if they're debilitated or whatever, and and they cross at a certain area, then you might want to be a little careful. I wouldn't say you know don't go there. But if it's in the middle of a war zone, <laughs> yeah. But I would say, well, I don't think Iraq or, or Afghanistan or somewhere like that is, is a place that you need to be visiting anytime soon. Yeah. And well, and especially if you're thinking about a, a move there of some sort. Yeah. Like say those two met and they're in square, maybe Mars is on the IC and Mercury mm-hmm. is on the descendant. And so does that seem like a very... Uh, uh, you know, warm and cozy place to call home. You know, Mars at the at the bottom here and at a square like you know relationship and partnership. Mercury, so that would, to me would seem like you know, maybe home squabbles or just squabbles in general might come up more often, and it would just not. It'd be more offsetting than it would be comfortable. Um, yeah, I had someone ask me recently if um, using like because I guess. I was on another show and I mentioned that if you um, relocate your chart ruler to, uh, you know, an angular line, it could be very powerful for you. And so she wrote in to ask, well, Saturn is my chart ruler. Should I go to such and such line? And, you know, would that work for me? And I said, well, it... (laughs) Lines are kind of a special um, exception or condition because I suppose it's possible if you have an extremely functional Saturn that that could work. But in general, I wouldn't want to live on a Saturn line, you know? Yeah, it doesn't. Well, it, it, and yeah, it's from all, you know, like <laughs> the original inclination would be like, no, you wouldn't want to live there. It'd probably seem super uh, limiting or maybe there would just be issues with, uh, you know, the home itself and you'd have to like keep some kind of burden within it or, you know, or karma, or karma with, within that situation. Um, but then there's the slight variations and kind of what you were saying earlier when we started the talk about looking at, you know, planetary conditions and how it's all working together. And, you know, for me, I have Saturn on the North Node. Saturn is the planet that rules uh, my, my IC. And so for me, maybe an angular Saturn might be not as bad because, and I'm a day birth, so it's not as, you know, tough. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, so it's going to take on a situational flavor, but, you know, typically not many of us are going to be like, move me to the Saturn line, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's not the normal thing there, but, but has the, if that happened, or perhaps you were born into that to begin with, uh, it might have different flavors depending on your, your natal makeup in, in those specifics. Oh, and you, that raises another really good point. Let's say you have Something um, I was reading through, I, I forget the specifics, but they were giving an example of a person who had Uranus conjunct Algol, the fixed star Algol, which is, of course, the star of beheading and other dire things. And it was natally conjunct her ascendant. So this person was saying, definitely go somewhere. I mean, obviously, you're going to have that somewhere in your chart, no matter where you go. but off the angle. Yeah. This woman was having just a terrible life and just dreadful things were going on for her. 
And so uh, luckily she hadn't yet been beheaded. Not that alcohol always means you're going to lose your head, but um, moving it somewhere and putting something more favorable on an angle is almost, I mean, if you have something like that in your natal chart, then um, relocation is, is highly desirable. Yeah, well, and because, you know, speaking how you, you know, close to someone who has a very strong algal <laughs> connection there and really, you know, and just so for, uh, you know, this is a fixed star placement, it's about 25 degrees Taurus, somewhere around there. Um, you know, it does have that classical, you know, l- lose your head situation. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's just as much as symbolically losing your mind in many ways based on yeah. what it is that you encounter, you know, and you can kind of lose your grip of things uh, just because of kind of chaotic situations that a- arise. So, you know, if it's not literal, sometimes it's very much, uh, you know, kind of figuratively how that how that plays out. Um, so we want to get that off a line, right? Because essentially angularity are seats of power. So, and, and those who listen to uh, um, Nina Griffin and I a, a handful of weeks back when we did our uh, astro meteorology episode, really this is kind of another uh, way of using astro maps to look at angularity, uh, not just in relation to ourselves and where we might want to move, but when we're looking at uh, predicting the weather or looking at certain political configurations when we have ingress charts, the Aries ingress or something like that, we can then see how that sets up, uh, you know, where if, if a prominent Saturn is taking place, you know, at a prominent square from Mars, we can see at a glance in the world where that's going to become angular and be able to see the line of, you know, who is going to be most affected uh, probably in the world by these particular uh, patterns or this, you know, or the astro meteorology, like trying to do weather prediction. So that's another way to use um, these, you know, these lines too, uh, looking at the world. Yeah. And if you, let's say you have a transit into a particular planet in your chart. And if it, especially if it's a um, supportive transit from Jupiter or whatever, um, it might be a good time for the part of the world where that planet uh, that's being triggered is uh, angular, you know? Mm. Well, and that brings the question of, I wanted to bring up a user question, or a user, a user question. <laughs> I sound like a manual here. Uh, no, a listener question uh, from, um, let me get it up here, from Anna G. You'll know who you are when I uh, say her question. She sent this to me a while back, um, and I just kind of wanted to address it real quick, because this is the first time we've ever really talked about uh, locality on this podcast. Um, and uh, we haven't really touched in relocation charts, but essentially we are touching in the relocation charts because once you see it on the map and you find the angle, then you get that chart. And so we have a chart for that placement. But what Anna had asked, she's like, "Uh, I have a question about relocation charts and progressions. Um, And I think she might be saying perfections here. So just FYI, but I'll explain this. So she says, I've heard that if you live somewhere much farther than where you were born, you have a different look chart for that location, which we have said clearly happens here. Now, I mean, I, you still have your natal chart, but the relocation one starts becoming more uh, dominant and important the longer you've lived there. And I would definitely agree with that. And I think Simone <laughs> does as well. Oh, yeah. um, now, so she says, was curious about how that would work with 
progressions. Um, but I think she's saying perfections here. She's saying I've lived across the world for my from my birthplace for about 20 years and my relocation chart flips my whole chart 180 degrees. So basically her chart had just gone uh, and it's like a mirror image of it. So because I'm having a fourth house year, would I also consider my relocation chart with that as well? Does that make sense? Now, I think why she's talking about perfections, uh, if you work with this technique, we basically have a highlighted planet for that particular year of life. Everybody, uh, you know, if you are uh, 24 years old, everyone is going through a first house perfection, but there'll be different planetary emphasis at play depending on, uh, you know, the time you were born. So I think what Anna's asking here is if, uh, you know, now we have a relocated chart to look at. So say you're having a first house or say she says fourth house, say you're having a fourth house Saturn transit, um, you know, Capricorn, but her chart is flipped by relocation. And so really the relocated fourth house is this cancer space, which would be the moon. Now, I can't really speak to this because I don't use that technique, but she raises a valid point. If there's anybody out there that wants to do more research and are farther along in their astrological studies of how, you know, these two fourth house placements might kind of uh, be affected by relocation, especially when you've lived somewhere for so long. So now, and I don't have an answer to your question, but I think your question is absolutely valid. Um, and it's worth uh, pursuing for those of us who are further along in this technique. Now, I'll also say, though, if we were talking about progressions, I read a fascinating story in that Martin, uh, or uh, I keep forgetting his name, uh, Martin Davis book about um, uh, Snowden. Uh, what's his first name? Edward. And he did a whole write-up uh, on his... Um, basically his fleeing uh, in the path that he had went on uh, using astrocartography and also local space, um, which is a directional technique. Uh, and he ended up in, in Moscow after, you know, having being, uh, first he went to Hong Kong and then ended up in Moscow. But what's interesting at that particular time for him, time and space, is that he was having a progressed moon position that lined up exactly on the IC. Uh, mm -hmm. in Moscow. So, oh. and here he is how many years later, right? In the same place. Um, we don't know how for long because he has, you know, they're talking about up until 2020, which is fascinating because we have, you know, obviously Saturn-Pluto conjuncting in the skies. And it's also interesting to note that uh, Edward Snowden was born with, the, with Saturn and Pluto conjunct in Libra. <laughs> So isn't it interesting that his time might be up as we have a Saturn-Pluto <laughs> conjunction yeah. in Capricorn? Um, but I, anyway, so that's fascinating that by progression, his moon IC line happened to hit Moscow at the right place and time where he could kind of feather his nest in this new region. There's so many ways to apply this relocation um, stuff. I mean, it's just endless. And uh, I... I, I encourage everybody to look at it in that way uh, with your natal chart and see what places are, are coming into prominence. You know, that's fascinating. 
It, it, it really is because I, I, I want to dive into this even more. So I'm so excited. I was like, Simone's been doing, uh, she just was launched her hotspots readings and you've been doing a couple podcasts. I was like, Simone, come talk about this online. And then you open this can of worms for me where I'm like, oh, wow. Like, uh, it's just, you know, your Gemini energy has helped open my own approach to a lot of things. And it's just been so exciting to kind of dive back in and, you know, relook at some of this, uh, these techniques. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, we've talked about, I think as much as we can with, <laughs> you know, well, do you have any last uh, things we yeah, want to say here? One point that I wanted to make, which is that I think at this point, it may be wise to not, unless the planet, like I said before, is in really good condition in your natal chart, it's probably wise not to go to try to relocate to an exact angular line. Um, But you can still get the good benefits of that line um, without and minimize perhaps any difficulties that may also exist on that line. If you go, say, I don't know, a few hundred miles, 500 miles, Um, away from the line on either side so that you're not in the fullest intensity unless it happens to be, and I can certainly ascertain that if I do a reading for you, if you do have any planets that, um, you know, really warrant being that intensified. But otherwise, I would, I really do think at this point that it's best to not gravitate toward the exact angular line. Mm. It is, well, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I agree with that, Simone, that I'm thinking about, wait, I'm living that situation right now. But uh, that is definitely something to take in consideration because, you know, depending on, when something's in strength, uh, it can be good for a short period of time, depending on what you want to experience. But when we are drawing that out over the years, uh, you know, that can become too much depending on what it is. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to follow up with one last story, though, with that, because that kind of ties into what you're saying here, Simone, and when um, uh, certain angular positions might be good for um, a short period of time or maybe a first experience of some sort, uh, because it dawned on me. So basically, I have you know Jupiter and Mercury conjunct in Leo um, in, in the 10th house by whole signs. Now, where that becomes angular in my chart in particular is Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Mm. So do you think there is any coincidence that the first uh, trip I had ever made from my home, you know, like my first night house? Well, no, no. Well, that's another, that's a whole other thing, Simone, that falls (laughs) into that as well. Um, But my first trip from... uh, from home, you know, because I didn't go on any family vacations. I, you know, I'm an only child with a single mother. Like there, we weren't going anywhere, <laughs> you know, just basically had to work and that was it. But the first time I ever got to go somewhere that was kind of far away and it was a road trip and I had never been on, uh, we had went with, uh, my mother was dating, ironically enough, my best friend's dad, which is a whole other situation. <laughs> um, but we, uh, his family was from Chicago, Illinois. So for my 13th birthday, which by the way, 13th is a second house perfection. And for me, that is a Jupiter year. 
we got in the car and we drove uh, to my Mercury Jupiter line in Chicago <laughs> on my birthday. Wow. Uh, you know, you can't make this stuff up. And so for me, that was such a Mercury Jupiter experience. It opened up the whole world for me. I got to, you know, listen to music on my Walkman and stare out the window at these foreign landscapes. Um, and so that was a perfect example of, of, of that energy and how it was a small period of time, but it opened up the whole world for me, right? That Mercury Jupiter. So I wanted to share that real quick of how that can, you know, take place too. Because sometimes we just need to go somewhere, you know, once or for an experience of some sort and it serves its purpose there. But you also went to Chicago to UAC. It's true. But a year ago? That it was, uh, that was in May of 2018. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that was a different experience for a few reasons uh, because it was great because it also elevated me once again, my Mercury Jupiter. Uh, I had just started my podcast. I, I got Hi. to connect with a few people there and, and meet some good people for, to come speak for our group as well. But really the whole time I was there, I was incredibly afflicted uh, oh. with, with uh, um, vertigo. Uh And it came out of nowhere, you know, and it was ramped up, which is very Jupiter, right? Well, if you look at that point in time, I had Jupiter right on my ascendant by transit and it was an exact trine to Neptune in the skies, which, you know, creates that kind of imbalance and that in-between space. And a lot of times, and I was also having uh, Mercury with square Neptune at that time in the skies in Gemini as well. Uh, so, and Mercury's part of that line too. So here, here once again, Mercury and Jupiter became quite prominent in this space and time. But by yeah. transit, uh, it was too much for me because yeah. it it took me down in many ways, and I couldn't enjoy my experience because I was overtaken uh, by this kind of Neptunian in between liminal, you know, space. Well, and that's a perfect example of how being on, even though you would think, oh, it's a Jupiter line, good stuff, right? And it was the first time around, but, and there was still some good there for you and it helped you meet people and expand your, your podcast and all, but it also brought out that it was just too much, you know, and that's the thing with even, even the benefic planets, it might be too much of a good thing or just simply too much. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, what we're really coming to terms with here is this is an incredibly useful tool, but there are a lot of factors to take in place before you're just like, oh, that's my Venus on the descendant line. I want to meet someone. I'm going that way. You know, there's a lot more to it than that really just simplistic notion. But those those are the starting points to where we can basically dive deeper and and get in there more um, by all these different considerations as we're (laughs) talking about. Or the ruler of your natal seventh house. If, you know, you might want to go potentially to a place that emphasizes that planet. Yeah. And for some of us, that might be Saturn, as we were talking about earlier. You know, that just is. I guess I take it for granted because I have Venus as my seventh house ruler, you know. (laughs) Just, uh, which, uh, you know, I I am. Thank you. Thank you, universe. That's, uh, it has worked out for me in many ways. So, uh, but yeah, these are all fantastic things to take in mind. So, um, well, that being said, you know, Simone, tell, tell people where they can find you, tell people more about your hotspots reading, um, and, and all that. Well, I'm on Instagram at Simone.moonpower 
And I post every day a little blurb with a fun image about what's going on for the day. People love that. And then I blog twice a month. I just now have a new one up about the new moon um, at astroalchemy.com. And if you go there, you can also um, check out my consultations page and uh, you'll see about the astro, uh, the hot spots astro reading on there. And just for if you're interested in having that done, um, normally I only include three lo- relocation reports for three places. But um, just for Mel's people, I'll give you five. I'll give you an extra two. So you'll get five full reports on uh, places that you either may want to move to or visit or that are important for you in some way, as well as my own assessment of, you know, where the best places might be or what the drawbacks might be in certain areas. Nice. And so all they will have to say is when they reach out to you, they just say that they heard you here uh, and then you'll, you'll yeah. know to add that on there. If you, if you yeah. want to entertain the different places that are out there, because, you know, it's a lot of fun to see how your chart may, you know, twirl and swirl into a new <laughs> energetic yeah. experience. So that's, that's so exciting to yeah. hear. So, uh, once again, so you, uh, astroalchemy.com, that is where we'll get Simone. Um, now if you did not catch that, you know, I always keep everything in a nice contained space on a blog post on my own site, um, which will reference this as well. And I'll also add a few, um, you know, for those of you that don't have these advanced programs or anything like that, I'm going to add some uh, pictorial references for what these charts look like so you can kind of see what we're talking about in, in a visual uh, because that can be very helpful just to kind of wrap your mind around when we're talking about lines and, you know, the crossings and all that. So visual, visuals definitely help. So you can find that at energeticprinciples.com. And of course, I can always be found on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Um, and, and if you want to support the podcast and encourage you checking out my Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. And of course, Simone has a Patreon as well, right? What Simone says. Yes, indeed. But it's just, um, Patreon slash Simone Butler. Simone Butler there. And so I'll make sure. It's on my website. It's very prominent there. If you're interested in finding it. Can't miss it. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, you know, this is a fascinating topic, uh, I think, to a lot of people, especially if, you know, this is big times in the astral world, and a lot of people might be relocating at this time or shifting their life around in many ways. Um, So if if you know someone that isn't in that same scenario... You know, spread the good word, share the podcast, inform people that, you know, these, these techniques exist uh, and they could be, you know, in your favor to look into them before making, you know, big life-changing decisions here. Uh, yeah. So, you know, spread the good word, leave a review wherever you listen to this uh, so it can be seen further. Um, and, you know, really that's, that, that's it because sharing is caring. So yeah. <laughs> Simone, you know, you're fabulous as always. I always love what you have to share. So I appreciate you uh, talking on this topic with our listeners here. It's always fun. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. All right. And thank you for listening uh, to all our astro mapping details here. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.